in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries. One group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka. Each week, we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30-year milestone. Whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home, we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986. I am your host, John Reed, and you're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. I don't know if I can explain what that dance was that I was just doing. That's actually good because that's that's right. We can't explain it either. We have we have faces for podcasts, so that is one hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. That's that's why we do this and not a YouTube channel. All right. Well, if you're listening to this, God bless you. And thank you for joining us. Um, You are listening to the 30-something movie podcast. And if this is like college and you wandered into the wrong room, stick around. It might be fun. Uh, You can audit the class. It'll be okay. Uh, This is episode number 66 of the 30-something movie podcast in which we are going back in time. Well, you got to go forward in time first to the 23rd century. And then we're going to go back in time to 1986. And then if we're not careful, it might skew off and I don't even know. It'll turn into an alternate 23rd century in which Chris Pine is Captain Kirk. Mm. But it'll be a while till we get to those movies. Yes. All right. So very, very quickly, we spoil stuff. We spoil the movie we're talking about. We may spoil a whole bunch of other movies that you didn't even come here to listen to. So just be aware of that. We're going to spoil stuff. Um, Maybe that will help you decide if you should go watch this movie. If you haven't seen this movie yet, I don't know what you're doing. Um, You're making poor life choices. So go see it now. I would recommend go seeing the first ones first, like one, two, three, and then see this one. Otherwise, some stuff won't make sense. I'm going to go ahead and say... Well, see two, three, four, maybe. Exactly. I I recently have gone through this experience with my wife. I I had to make a decision of how to introduce her to Star Trek. And we started with Wrath of Khan, and I think that was was an enlightened choice. Okay. I think uh, for the non-Star Trek fan... Star Trek The Motion Picture is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, the caveat being, if you're a sci-fi fan who's just getting into Star Trek, you might actually dig the motion picture. Right. It's very, very 2001, trying to be all artsy, filmy right. things. Yeah. Um, so here's a quick question before we go on with the other stuff. Um, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. Um, would you then introduced her to these movies when you started with two? Did you go back to the, um, was it Space Seed? Was that the episode? I did. I okay. did make her sit through that. Okay. Uh, she was not that pleased. Okay. <laughs> she liked, she liked the movie Wrath of Khan much better than Space. Okay. Having seen the episode with her recently, it, even good episodes like Space Seed were still kind of campy Star Trek. And you oh, kind yeah. of forget that until you see him again. And you're like, oh. Yeah. It's kind of like watching the old Batman. It's like, as a kid, this yes. was ridiculously fun. But as an adult, it's it's still fun. But it's not as fun. It, I've, it I've, helps to be 20 to 30 years younger. It does. I recently 
come across the animated Star Trek animated series. On oh the, yeah, I used to watch Netflix a few of those. Or Hulu, I can't remember which. Could be both, from mm-hmm. And God, talk about campy and goofy and yeah. just, oh my goodness. It's like old school Scooby Doo. Yes. The Star, yes. the Star Trek animated series that wasn't really like sanctioned by anybody, was it? Or oh no, they had the real voices yeah. and everything. It was okay. They even they even took some of what was supposed to be Star Trek phase two and rolled that into the animated series, just like they did the motion picture characters and storylines from phase two. It, so it's so weird because they tried so hard to resurrect this show in some way. And all they had to do was wait 20 years. Right. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it was huge. Star Trek has to be one of the most interesting TV phenomena ever. Yeah. A show that just, I mean, Three years is nothing in TV. Yeah. Right. But, but all of a but sudden, then to all of a sudden be like be that popular and yeah, by 1987 there's four movies, a new TV show, and they're off to the races. It was crazy. Yeah. I guess you know, and it's funny. I can go back and watch those old episodes, and I, you know what, I, I, I get what you're saying that you know there is some stuff that looks dated. I mean, it was a 1960s television show, so mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, there's going to be some of that, but. You know, some of those episodes I can I can kind of get wrapped up into. I mean, I know the special effects and, you know, there's big switchboards and everything. But I know that, like, there was one that, um, well, it was the first appearance of the guy that played Sarek. Mark I Leonard, are, yeah. Are, yeah. Are we getting, yeah. May Mark, he rest in peace. John, yeah. are we getting off course already? Should we, should I rail this back in or? No, you go ahead. We'll, we'll get back on course. Okay. The, um, we'll slingshot well, around the sun and we'll be fine. Yeah, and I forget what the name of the episode. Yeah, I forget what the name of the episode was, but it was where uh, Mark Leonard played the Romulan commander, and Kirk mm-hmm. was the um, was obviously commanded the Enterprise, and they got into this whole thing where they were in in this combat, and you know Spock, they thought that Spock was a Vulcan, so that he was going to help you know sell them out to the Romulans, and it was almost kind of the way they did it was almost like those old like uh, submarine movies where you know the, they can't quite the submarine can't see the ship on the surface and vice versa and they're trying to get each other and I, I don't know I like that one I thought that was cool you know and you know the one where they chased the ghost of um what was it Jack the Ripper who yeah. ended up being oh, some yeah. alien you know yeah. some some alien entity that could jump I mean that I don't know that some of those got me pretty good you know oh they had great storylines it's just you, you watch <laughs> them and and it's just so some of them are just so campy yeah but yeah. some of the some of the social commentary, I think uh, John brings it up in the show notes for today. Yeah. The uh, social commentary of sci- science fiction in general. Excuse me. Which some credit Star Trek with sort of I wouldn't say starting it, but bringing it more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It like you said, it's quite a phenomenon. All right. Well, let me let me slingshot us around the sun, and we'll we'll finish right. up with our intro, and then no, that's fine. Um, and then we will. Uh, that just shows that we're eager to get into this here. So yeah, that's that's fine. Um, all right. So let's see. Um, if you haven't already, tell everybody about us. Um, if you're on Twitter, we have actually hit. Now this is not a big deal for like other podcasts because they're in like you know the hundreds and other stuff like that. But um, I feel like for a podcast that's a very kind of niche podcast, you know, it's we're doing like a year at a time, and it, we hit over 50 followers on Twitter. So I was kind of happy Woo-hoo! about that. So there's there's a little milestone. Now we're going to get to the next 50. We'll get to 100. So 
Tell your friends. Tell everybody that you know to go sign up for a Twitter account and then follow us. And then they can log out and never go back on Twitter again if they don't if they don't want to. But at least for the purpose of getting us to 100 followers, let's do that. Now, okay. dumb question from the guy that doesn't know anything about social media. When Twitter's on the computer. On... What was that? Twitter is on the computer. Twitter, okay, this is something that's on the computer. Yep, okay. it's, a, it's a computer thing. Gotcha. And then it's... Um, uh, 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 uh. See, and I just lost my train of thought. I got that's nothing. All right. Sorry. Yeah, just, no, you oh wait, they're actually listening to podcasts like episodes on Twitter. No. Okay. Twitter is just like where we share out. You know, when we share out stuff like, "Here's our next episode coming up in a few days," or uh, "Our new episode is out." Here's the link to go listen to it. Or I see. Uh, John had a taco for lunch, or uh, stuff like that. John's taco revenged him later. Well, that's that was it was retweeted. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. But yeah, so. All right. Um yeah, and if you want to if you want to go leave us a review on iTunes, um you can go ahead and do that too. We love reviews on iTunes. Uh we don't have any yet, so if you want to get in touch with us and tell us how things are going, uh you can either do that 30podcast at gmail.com or you can go give us a review on iTunes and let us know how things are going. Um, I haven't introduced you guys yet. We've been, what have we been talking for like 10 minutes already? People don't even know who you are. So, Bo, say hi. Hi. How's it going? Pat, say hi. Hey, hey. Good. Everybody's introduced. We're good. Okay. Really, really, really quickly. We're back. Here's the news. All the news that's new and approved by the U.S. Army, the sweetest smelling army in the world. <laughs> Um, I wanted to bring up a couple of things. One will just be a very quick uh, thing because I just uh, heard about it this afternoon. And the other one, we can talk about it for a couple minutes. But I know Jeff wanted to talk a little bit more about this because um, he's the one that originally brought it up to me. Uh, first thing, Doris Roberts passed away today. Oh, um, Just heard that. Uh, the kind of the, the um, Raymond's mother from Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. That actress, she was 90, passed away today. Um, and let's see, my other news thing that I had was, and this kind of came and went really, really quickly, uh, AMC, the movie theaters, considered allowing texting in their theaters, uh, and almost as soon as they were, as soon as it got out there that they were considering it, they released a statement that said, nope, done, we're not going to do it, because we heard from too many people that it was a bad idea. Why would they, okay, never mind. No, go for it, because that's, that's, that's what's up for discussion right now. We'll, we'll take a couple of minutes. We'll, I know Jeff wants to talk a little bit more about it, too. but Okay. So why would, would you be that? all right with there being texting in a movie theater? Why would they do... I, oh, I got to run take care of something. I'll be right back. Guys. Go for it. Yeah, I feel like I got to run and go take care of something. I got to go get my baseball bat and start smashing things. Mm-hmm. Why would you... Why? 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 The idea being they want to make sure that people can enjoy their experience at the theater, but that sometimes people want to be able to text and use their phones while they're in the theater. Um, and so much like the railway companies doing quiet cars, you know, where you can go to the quiet car and, and in that quiet car, you're not allowed to be on your phone or anything like that. Um, the idea being, and I think some of their ideas they were throwing around were only certain theaters would allow texting. And it's possible that it would only be allowed in the top two or three rows of the theater so that if you want to text, you got to sit in the back where it's not going to bother anybody. How do you feel about that? I feel like I'm just out of step with life. I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm. I don't know. Well, that's okay. Then Jeff and Jeff and I agree with you too. So, 
that I'm out of step with life. Well, yeah, that, but we okay. also agree that you shouldn't be texting in the movie theater. I just think that's the stupidest thing ever. I mean, I really, I know that it goes a little bit far to say that, you know, it's not like there's real life performers there that you're distracting, mm -hmm. but you know, but you're going there home. for an experience. Yeah. Then stay home. Right. If you can't, I, I mean, and that, that's my problem with a lot of the texting and the social media. And I know we, you know, we joke about it because I don't fully understand how a lot of social media works and blah, 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 blah. But people are so tied to their phones that they can't stop texting. Right. Then, then stay home or just walk around with your head buried in your phone. But if you're there to go see a movie, go see the movie. I, I just, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in I, fact, I don't know. In some com in some countries I've heard of, um, and I, I can't cite an article where I've, you know that I've seen this, but I know sometime within the last few years, I read that in some countries they actually have um, like cell phone inhibitors in their movie theaters so that you can't even get any kind of a cell or Wi-Fi signal when you're in a theater, which I think is kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, but apparently there are in some countries, not in the U.S., because I guess they argued in the U.S. that um, you know, sometimes you might need cell service if there's an emergency or whatever. Um, so they won't do that in, in theaters in the U.S., but apparently there are some countries around the world that have done that where they put these inhibitors on their movie theater so that the moment you walk in, you can't get any kind of a cell signal. Yeah, I, I, I think that it makes sense. I really just don't – I just think that there's, there's just too much got to be on the cell phone, got to check the Internet – got to check this, got to update this. I got to update my Facebook. I got to, and I really, I, I just think that that's just too much. Now, the only thing that's making me hesitate is that I'm telling other people how to live their lives and, you know, what, whatever. But, I, you know, if you ask me, no, I, I think that you can keep, you know, movie theaters for, you don't need to go to a movie theater and be texting on your phone. Right. Well, this has been Pat's Guide to Clean Living. Uh, yeah. So you can all take those words of advice and take them to heart and go live your life the way Pat would. Just remember, WWPD. <laughs> That's right. Hey, man, and feel free to trash me on Twitter and FaceTube. It won't matter because you're not on there anyway. I know. Exactly. It'll. I mean, I'll take those things to heart. There you go. Well, the only time it would be acceptable for you to be listening to anything on your phone when you're in a movie is if you're deciding to listen to the 30-something movie podcast okay. uh, while you're going back and watching a movie. Maybe... You've gone to a screening of Back to the Future, and right. you want to listen to our show, almost as if it's like director commentary. Yeah, I, I could see that. In, in which case, I would say don't do that, because um, you need to like find a recording of actual Robert Zemeckis and, right, you know, Christopher we Lloyd. Try. And, and we all can those try it. being the director. We commentary. totally could. I'll talk about Back to the Future for a full two hours, yeah. however long the movie is. I'd probably just be like. Hey, here's where we're going to put more awesome into it. Okay, and right. when we, we decided on this camera angle because it added more awesome to the movie. Right. Here we had to cut the scene short because there was so much awesome, the camera couldn't take more awesome in the movie. And I'd, I'd be fine with that. We would end up being like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes. We just do, instead of director commentary, it's like audience commentary, and I don't really know if anybody wants to hear that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You Although, gotta be pretty Bo funny and I, in, in high school, Bo and I had a good time going to see the Star Wars movies when they were re-released. Yeah, because we knew those movies so well. Then mm -hmm. we would we would go and we'd sit in the back of the theater and we would just make fun of them the whole time. 
Yeah. We did like our own little Mystery Science Theater 3000 when the when they got re-released back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That was good Man, stuff. Man, that stuff. But yeah, no, don't do the texting in the theater. It's bad, bad idea. I, I, yeah, that's kind of my take. Yeah. I look forward to hearing what Jeff and, it, you know, your, what your thoughts are and, and all that. Jeff was kind of the same way. We, we tweeted back and forth a little bit because Jeff's on the Twitter. Um, we tweeted back and forth a little bit, and I think he kind of feels the same way, that it's kind of a ridiculous idea that you would even think about allowing that in a movie theater. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, before we get in the movie here, I had, oh, I had a, f- a funny thing that happened uh, social media-wise, actually on the Twitter again. Um, I did last week, I, at the end of last week, I did the episode on uh, Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam, that 1986 yeah. classic. That was fun to... And uh, I actually got, uh, actually got retweeted and uh, liked by Jim Varney's nephew. Oh, nice. I don't know if he listened to the show or not, but he, he saw that we did the... Uh, um, of course, I, I, did the, I drew the cover art for it, which was a, uh, like the front cover of the, the VHS tape. Um, of Jim Varney as Dr. Otto, and then, um, and then he retweeted when I announced uh, that our episode was out, and then um, when I, I also tweeted a comment that I said that I thought if they were going to do some kind of a biography of Jim Varney, I thought Jim Carrey would be perfect. Oh, there you go. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, thought that was kind of cool. Got a little, little retweet from Jim Varney's nephew. Not that anybody else knows who Jim Varney's nephew may be, but... Still but, a pretty cool deal. But, but the more I look back into his life, like he had kind of an interesting life. He was a serious actor, like Shakespearean trained actor, and and he ended up being Ernest P. Worrell. Yeah. Well. Like, and then then there's some other roles that he was in that I would love to go see, like serious roles that he was in, um, and I have not seen those. So that's I after doing some research for that movie and watching it and then talking about it, I'm like I I would like to go see more that Jim Varney has been in and not just like the goofy earnest stuff. Right. All right. Are we ready to talk a little Star Trek for? I think it's time. It's okay. high time. All right. This time around, we're talking Star Trek for the voyage home. This one came out November 26th, 1986. It was rated PG. Uh, the director for this one was Leonard Nimoy, who died last year in 2015. May he uh, rest in peace. May he rest in peace. I was going to say, so say we all, but that's, Wrong franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, let me also point out real quick, and I, I did share this with uh, Sharon the other day. The last couple of times that we've um, been in church, I've almost slipped up. When when the preacher is talking and he reads a passage from the Bible, um, you know, he says, uh, this is the word of the Lord, and then the rest of the congregation is supposed to say, um, thanks be to God. The last couple of times that's happened, I've almost said, so say we all. That's, that's outstanding. It's like I, it wouldn't be wrong. It's still the same kind of idea. Exactly. But you know. But you might get some funny looks. Right. You know. But if I get funny looks, then I know those people know what I'm talking about, and there you go. You kind of then they're still yeah. okay. All right, Leonard Nimoy, who died in 2015, may he rest in peace. Um, he also directed Star Trek Three. He directed Star Trek Four and uh, Three Men and a Baby, which most people don't know about. It's one of those fun little trivia things. Um, the producer for this one was, was Harv Bennett. He also died in 2015. He produced uh, some episodes of The Bionic Woman, The Six Million Dollar Man, Star Trek's Two Through Five, and the TV show Time Tracks. The writers for this one, we had a ton of writers for this movie. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, 
who also uh, who wrote this one and also wrote uh, Star Trek VI. Harv Bennett, uh, who wrote the TV show Mod Squad and then also wrote for Star Trek's two through five. Steve Mearson and Peter Crikes uh, did Double Impact and Anna and the King. Um, let's see, Nicholas Meyer, who is pretty well known for writing and, and directing some of the most popular Star Trek movies. Uh, he also wrote Star Trek 2, 4, 6, and he's been announced as the writer for the pilot episode of the new Star Trek TV series that's coming out in January 2017, um, which we may talk a little bit about uh, here in just a little. Yeah, I haven't heard about that. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of interesting. There's there's some stuff going on with it, though, that I'm has me maybe a little worried, but Bo, you may know more about this. You keep up on Star Trek stuff a little more than I do. Yeah, I I haven't been keeping up lately as much as I should. Okay. I tend right. to go to my brother with those questions. Okay, All right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll read some of it to you. I'll ask you about it later. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek was created by Gene Roddenberry, who died in 1991. Uh, he also uh, wrote for, or I think he wrote for, I don't know if it was wrote for or directed, I think it was wrote for, uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, and a TV show called The Lieutenant. Music was done by Leonard Rosenman who died in 2008. He also did the music for Rebel Without a Cause, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, The Lord of the Rings, the 1978 animated movie, Barry Lyndon, and RoboCop 2. The budget for this one was $21 million. The box office was $133 million, so it made back a whole bunch of pennies. Starring William Shatner as Admiral James Tiberius Kirk, uh, he was in the TV show T.J. Hooker, Third Rock from the Sun, and Boston Legal. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was Captain Spock. He was in he was an uncredited role in the movie Them, the one with the uh, giant radioactive ants, which is a great mm-hmm. old movie. Uh, he was also in Mission Impossible, the TV show, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 remake. He was a voice in Transformers Dark of the Moon, and he was in the TV show Fringe. DeForest Kelly, who died in 1999, was Dr. Leonard McCoy. He was in the TV show Bonanza and a lot of other TV episodes. James Doohan, who died in 2005, was Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott. He was in the TV show Jason of Star Command and a, t- and a movie called Double Trouble. And the only reason I mentioned Double Trouble um, is because his character's name in that movie was Chief O'Brien. So I thought that was huh. kind of funny that his name was Chief O'Brien. And the next guy we see running, well, I guess that was a while before he started running engineering. That was Deep Space Nine. Uh, George George Takai played Commander Hikaru Sulu. He was in oh Mulan. My. Oh my! He was in Mulan and the TV show Heroes, as well as many other things. Uh, Walter Koenig is it Koenig? Yeah, I always mess that up. Walter Koenig was Commander Pavel Chekhov. He was in Babylon Five and some other TV shows. Uh, Nichelle Nichols was Commander Nyota Uhura, who was in Heroes and some other TV. Jane Wyatt, who died in 2006, played Amanda Spock's mother. She was in the movie Lost Horizon, a very old movie, good movie, from 1937. Uh, also in the TV show Fathers Knows Best. Catherine Hicks was Dr. Jillian Taylor. She was in Peggy Sue Got Married, Child's Play, and the TV show Seventh Heaven. And finally, oh. Mark Leonard was Ambassador Sarek. He was in Planet of the Apes, the TV series, Star Trek, the motion picture as a Klingon, and he was in a lot of other Star Trek stuff, too. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave this one 85%. The audience gave it an 80%. Siskel and Ebert liked this movie. So there's one of these rare times that they actually like something. Uh, Ebert said, Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. And um, I I took this directly from his uh, review on his website. 
when they finished writing the script for Star Trek IV, they must have had a lot of silly grins on their faces. This is easily the most absurd of the Star Trek stories, and yet, oddly enough, it is also the best, the funniest, and the most enjoyable in simple human terms. I'm relieved that nothing like restraint or common sense stood in their way. Siskel said, this has likable characters who, each, who like each other, and he gave it a thumbs up because it was just a feel-good movie. Uh, CinemaScore, which we started kind of adding in here um, a few weeks ago. Uh, CinemaScore is where they poll people as they come out of the theater, so it's like an exit poll uh, for movie theaters, and it's just the audience, like how they feel when they come out of a movie. Uh, CinemaScore for this one was an A+. It is the highest ranked of all Star Trek movies on CinemaScore. The awards for this one, there are so many awards for this one, either nominated or won, that I may not read all of them. Uh, but if you want to go see them, go check out IMDb. Uh, for Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Effects, uh, Sound Effects Editing, and Best Music, Original Score. Uh, for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, it won the Saturn Award for Best Costumes. It was nominated for Best Sci-Fi Film, Best Actor, uh, Leonard Nimoy, Best Actor, William Shatner, Best Supporting Actor, James Doohan, Best Supporting Actor, Walter Koenig, Best Supporting Actress, Catherine Hicks, Best Director, Leonard Nimoy, Best Writing, Best Makeup, Best Special Effects. Um, let's see. Anything else that it won? Uh, it won a, or was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Um and nominated for a Young Artist Award for Best Family Motion Picture Drama. And there's several other awards on there, but there's a whole bunch of them that they were nominated for, and I won't necessarily go through and read all of them. All right, so here's what this movie's about, and then we're going to play the trailer audio, and then we'll be right back. The year is 2286. Currently in exile on the planet Vulcan, the former command crew of the USS Enterprise are planning to return to Earth and face court-martial after the events of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. In the meantime, a mysterious probe has approached Earth, disabling power across the planet and evaporating the oceans. Spock determines that the probe cannot be answered because it is searching for humpback whales, which went extinct in the early 20th or, 20, or late 20th or early 21st century. Now Kirk, Spock, and the rest must travel back to the late 20th century, retrieve two humpback whales named George and Gracie, and return to their time. So let's go ahead and take a listen to the trailer audio here, and we will be back in just a moment. Avoid the planet Earth at all costs. We are under the attack of an orbiting probe. Notify all stations. Starfleet emergency. Red alert. Earth is on the edge of destruction. We cannot survive unless a way can be found to respond to the probe. The key to saving the future... Spock, you're talking about the end of every life on Earth. ...can be found only in the past. We're going to attempt time travel. Sulu, take us home. These are the voyages of the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. Stardate 1986. San Francisco. Our own world is waiting for us to save it. They have 24 hours. Everybody remember where we parked. Break up. To complete their mission. It looked like a cadet review. We will beam in tonight, collect the photons, and beam out. I want you all to be very careful. Without being discovered. We have an intruder. All right, who are you? You're not exactly catching us at our best. That much is certain. This is an extremely primitive and paranoid culture. What does it mean, exact change? Many of their customs will doubtless take us by surprise. 
We're ready for beam out. My transporter power is down to minimal. I've got to bring you in one at a time. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Let's do our job and get out of here. Freeze! Take off, can you hear me? Freeze! I've lost it. Who are you? You can't. Our next stop is the 23rd century. Full power now, sir. Shields at maximum. Steady. Hold on tight, lassie. Can we make breakaway speed? That's all I can give you! Book eight. Book nine. Now. Star Trek IV. The Voyage Home. Okay, now I just want to go back and just rewatch the movie again. Yeah, they gave away a lot of good stuff in that trailer. Though. Yeah, they did. I was kind of noticing that. You got to hold some of that closer to the vest. I well, and I I kind of and Dennis has talked about this too. That kind of you know modern trailers we always kind of poke fun at for giving everything away, but that one kind of that kind of oh covered everything. God. You gave away the cadet review joke. You gave away the exact mm-hmm. change joke. You gave away the everybody remember where we parked joke. That's mm-hmm. some of the best stuff. I know. I was a little, was a little surprised. Dumbass, but still. Right. No, we're well, we're saving that one. Wow. You gotta you gotta save the colorful metaphors. Exactly. You know, but even but even that, like you know, you look at the exact change joke. That was funny, but it was so much more than a one-liner. I mean, that whole scene built beautifully when it was sitting there. You know, Spock's all like making use of this map. I'm going to triangulate the position of the bearing based on the such. And then the bus drives up and Kirk just says, how about we go right here? And Spock's like, how do you know this? And it, it just, it all builds to simple logic. Yeah, and then, I think we'll find what, what we're looking what for at the uh, Cetacean Institute you know? in Sausalito. And the whole, and the whole, everybody remember where we parked. I mean, that came after, you know, the two garbage guys, you know, where it was yes. just like, did you see that? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> and neither did you. Neither did you. <laughs> And they're arguing about his wife or something. I mean, that yeah. whole thing was just, you know, it was just hilarious. And then, you know, crunch, they land and then they scare these garbage guys. And it's, okay, here we go. You know, oh, yeah. man, what a, what a neat movie. All right. So for this one, got a little background on this one. Originally, William Shatner refused to return for Star Trek IV. Um, they ultimately then agreed to pay him what he wanted. Well, they didn't pay him what he wanted, but they paid him, they offered to pay him more money. Um, and he ultimately agreed to it. Because of the increase in salaries, because the original cast was getting to be, you know, they wanted more money for their appearances, and they were popular enough that they could ask for more money. Um, Because of those increase in salaries for the original cast, Paramount began developing a little show called Star Trek The Next Generation, which had lesser known, less expensive uh, actors in it. And then ultimately, I guess they figured they could probably do some movies with them, which they ended up doing, so... Um, original ideas for the story involved, instead of humpback whales, a disease that was ravaging the earth with a cure that was destroyed with the rainforests back in the early 21st century, so they were going to have to travel back in time and somehow save the rainforest. Uh, George and Gracie were originally called Adam and Evie. Oh. A little on the nose for that one, if they're bringing yeah. back the two humpback whales to repopulate the species. And Oh, that would have been real bad. Oh, just wait. Um, originally, okay, so the doctor, our, our marine biologist doctor. 
Oh, I know this one. The, you know this one? The, the yes. one who was the mother for Seventh Heaven, uh, the TV show? Yeah. Um, the part of Dr. Jillian Taylor was originally written to be a man who was a professor who was interested in UFOs, but also oh, knew oh. a lot about whales. Uh, originally written for... Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy I... wanted to be in a Star Trek movie, and so they, writ they wrote in this part for him. And when he found out that he wasn't going to get to be a Starfleet officer or an alien, he dropped out. And that is for the best. And thank you, Eddie. Which he dropped out to make the Golden Child, which he admits now was a mistake. Hmm. But I think it would have been a bigger mistake had he stayed in. Yeah. Uh, the original draft had Jillian Taylor um, staying on Earth in 1986 and promising to ensure that the whales would not go extinct. So she did not travel to the future in one of the original drafts. Um, some of the writers liked this idea better because then it required some responsibility on the part of the people of the 20th century to solve their own problems and not just to transport the whales magically into a future utopia where they would be safe. And it doesn't pollute the timeline. That, that's true, too. Mm. <laughs> um, they also dropped a part in the script. There were a couple other things going on in the script that they decided to drop. Um, apparently, in one of the earlier drafts of the script, and it may have stayed in for a little while there, uh, was that Savick was staying on Vulcan because she was pregnant with Spock's baby. Mm-hmm. Because, okay. you know, they had that moment on the planet. Right, with the, with the Ponfar, and the, mm -hmm. they were Ponfaring each other. They were. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, what else we got here? Uh, footage of humpback whales was difficult to come by, so the production had to create miniature animatronic whales. So almost all the shots of the whales in the movie were animatronics, but they were so lifelike that there were a lot of environmental groups that got very angry with the movie for endangering the whales by filming too close to them. And wasn't there a story that during one of the, I want to say one of the shots in the bay when they weren't in the swimming pool on the lot, the tow line from the fake whales got caught up on a sub or something and dragged out to sea? Really? I think I, so. I think I might have heard read, that somewhere. I got to see if I can find that because it was his the first time I read it. I was okay. like, you've got to be kidding me. Now, this next one I've got, I've heard two different things. I like this one better, but I've heard two different things. The noise, the whoom, whoom, whoom that the probe makes as it's mm. traveling through space. Um, I read somewhere that that was the noise of a baby's heartbeat in a sonogram, and it was just filtered through and sounded differently. I like this one better, though. They were arguing over what the probe should sound like, and Leonard Nimoy didn't like any of the sounds they came up with, so they said, fine, Leonard, what do you think it should sound like? And he just sat there and went, whoop, 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 and they recorded it, and they put it through a filter, and they used his voice. Did they compensate for salinization? <laughs> well, yeah. Can we take that into, a, into a effect? Factor that in, see what we can do. Um, let's see, this, is the, this was the first Star Trek film ever shown in the Soviet Union. Uh, it was screened by the World Wildlife Fund to celebrate a ban on whaling in that country. Um, and apparently it was very positively received. They liked it. Um, this I remember because I remember reading the book um, a few years after seeing the movie. And I remember really liking this scene in the book. Um, there is supposed to be a scene where when Sulu and Scotty and Dr. McCoy are trying to figure out how they're going to get this whale tank made. And they come by that sign, that big painted yellow pages sign on the side of the building. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah. there's an Asian woman that's yelling at an older Asian man. Well, mm -hmm. supposedly, in the book, this takes place, which I always thought was kind of cool. In the movie, supposedly, 
that scene was supposed to go on where the woman, after yelling at the man who walked away, was then going to yell for a child to come near. And when the child came by, the child was supposed to look at Sulu and Mm -hmm. seem to recognize him and say something like, Uncle Hikaru, why are you here? And then when Sulu asks the child what his name is, he finds out that that's his great, great, great grandfather or something like that. And I remember reading that the book and always thinking that was kind of cool. And apparently the only reason it didn't make it into the movie was that every time they asked the little kid to say his lines, he started crying. So they couldn't put it in the movie. That's too bad. The the extended universe that grew up around this movie is actually kind of extensive and really cool. There was a whole there, novel on the probe. I remember reading. I was going to say there's a book about the probe, and I have a weird feeling that there might have been a second novel about the probe. They went deep. Yeah. With the tie-in to the whale, I read the book. It was fantastic writing. Um, I remember reading the probe, the first probe book. I remember. I don't yeah. remember anything about it, but I remember reading it, and they went deep. Yeah. Tied it in with the, the whales on Earth and this planet. It was crazy. I mean, it was off the wall, kind of. You come to find out the probe was sent by the Borg, and it's, it's all tied in together. <laughs> Actually, it's... Um, That's not it true. Wasn't... Anybody who's yelling at their iPhone now, it's not true. No, it wasn't the Borg, but it does tie into something else. And I kind of hope I remember as we go. Because I remember reading that book and going, huh. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other level there. Mm-hmm. It's just they, they went real deep with it, which was cool. You don't see that all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and back, there were, I mean, there were just a ridiculous amount of Star Trek books. And I remember before I even ever got into, there was a Still point. Are. In, oh, I know. I know. There's, there was a point in time at which, and this seems strange to say this now, there was a point in time at which I was probably a bigger Star Trek fan than I was a Star Wars fan. <gasps> I, mm-hmm, I know. It was during that time when there wasn't much Star Wars stuff out there. Like, right. I was reading a bunch of Star Trek books in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then finally, when they had the new Star Wars stuff that came out, like the Heir to the Empire, the Timothy Zahn books that came mm. out, then I started reading those again, and that kind of kick-started all the Star Wars stuff. And then you had the Star Wars comic books and everything else. But in that interim time where the only thing you had were the, um, the uh, Battle for Endor movies... God rest their souls. Um, hopefully. A little, little sketchy there. Ugh, ugh, man. Um, makes the holiday special look like fun. Um, <laughs> that's not true. The, the Endor movies were kind of fun, but I won't watch them more than once every few years. Um, it's like Ponfar. It's every seven years, and then you're good. Um, <laughs> Whether you need it or not. Don't, don't spit your drink out there, Bo. So there were, no, I mean, there were a ton of books, and I remember reading a whole bunch of the Star Trek books back in the day and knowing a whole bunch of, like, original TV series Star Trek trivia. I used to have a video game um, on our computer that was a Star Trek trivia game, and I had a whole ton of it memorized, and I, I couldn't tell you now what half the answers would be to that game, but I knew it as a kid. Um, but yeah, I actually was a bigger, probably a bigger fan because all the books were available, and I just started reading every single one I can get my hands on. That was probably around the time I read all the books of the different, uh, the novelizations of the movies. Would have read the Probe book around then, depending on when that came out. Um, and then probably started in on like the Next Generation books too. But So, um, let's just start off in, in general, and you can kind of throw this in together with like favorite quotes and scenes. We've already started to do that. Um, what is it you like about this movie? 
because we've already heard from a couple of couple of different places, it seems like this is one of the more likable Star Trek movies. Whether you think it's one of the best, it seems to be one of the most likable. It got a cinema score of A+. There aren't too many movies that get an A+. Cinema score, so people had to enjoy this movie. They came out of this movie happy. It was, it's fun. Yeah, and you, you, it's really hard to not enjoy this movie. I mean, it. I actually toyed with the idea of just showing this movie to my wife first, and because I knew it was easily approachable, it was, it didn't rely too heavily on Star Trek mythos at all. I suppose maybe a little bit of the Klingon history, just why are they on this weird-looking ship that obviously doesn't match anything else. But other than that... Well, something something interesting about the um, the actress that played um, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Jillian Taylor, that Catherine Hicks, um, when she went into audition for this, she didn't know anything about Star Trek at all. And I guess Leonard Nimoy was trying to get her caught up on some things, and he's trying to explain to her, well, this is this is because of this. And, then, and she asked him to stop. She's like, no, no, no. If you want me to play a person who is supposed to really not have any clue what this is all about, the future and these people, and I, then don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want that that's, to be... That's cool. Yeah. That's method, baby. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, in that way, then, yes, I guess the rest of the audience is like, you, you can come to this movie and not need to know anything at all about Star Trek. Yeah, and I think that's what made it so fun. I think you could introduce people to a, to a universe using this movie and then go back and show them the other ones. Uh, while it is technically the third part of an obvious trilogy, if, if you know enough of the movies, I mean, there's no, there is no doubting that it is Wrath of Time, Search for Spock, Voyage Home. It is all one chunk. You know, when they leave, not entirely true to say this, but when they leave Space Dock and Wrath of Khan, they don't necessarily leave again until the fifth movie. Yeah, there's the time when they're back and then they steal the ship and all that nonsense. But it's it's all one story. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously the third part of a trilogy, but how many third parts of a trilogy could you walk in completely blind and still have everyone walk out loving the movie? It, they wrote, they had fun when they were writing it. You can tell, I think you were reading a quote from, I think it was Siskel who said, they obviously were grinning when they finished. Yeah, that it's was the, just that fun. That was Ebert. Like when they finished writing mm. this movie, they must have had silly grins on their faces. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't campy. I no, mean, and that's it, the amazing it, part. I mean, and and it's funny because you know, and I, I I you know, I went the full I watched all three parts. You know, I watched Wrath of Khan, I watched Search for Spock, and I watched this just to get the flow right because they do all function together and I want to say that this maybe was the first Star Trek thing I really ever saw. I mean, now, it could have been mine too. It's the right age group. Sure, it's, you, know. you know, I'm sure I watched the reruns of the episodes hmm. from TV. Um, but even that, I was young enough. I never fully comprehended that those were necessarily the same people. You know, because they look different, and and maybe every kid is this way. But I was very literal, and right down to the fact that Kirk had brown hair in this that was curly but then in the tv show he had more blonde hair like i always thought those were two different guys so it never well so pounds are so helped too well you know i say but um you know i think this was the first thing i saw and i remember people like i think my mom even went to see this movie and she wasn't isn't a big star trek person and she really enjoyed the movie but you know it's funny in watching the first the two three and then this one it's sort of like this humor 
this is kind of the release of two very high, tightly wound emotional episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, beloved characters being killed off, brought back to life, you know, people's kids dying, planets exploding, you know, arch villains, nemesis, you know, all this was going on. It was very, you know, high intensity. And this one was kind of the release for all that. But again, the humor, and I don't know, I think it was the perfect storm of directing, acting, and writing. The humor wasn't campy. It fit in. All those jokes, you know, we were talking about all that stuff in the trailer. And not only were there great one-liners, but, and this was kind of what I was saying, where I don't know if those one-liners in the, in, the, in the trailer ruined anything, because they capped off such well-put-together scenes. Hmm. I mean, it was, it was, it was really... Yeah, I don't know. They really nailed the humor in this thing. They did. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, um, you had Leonard directing who knows this universe and these characters so well. The writing team, a couple of them had been around for a while. It was almost like you were writing for a TV show. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think is a, is great about TV over movies is because you have that time to develop these characters mm-hmm. and you have that consistent No, it's not the same writer for every episode, but you have the same writing staff. So you under, they understand these people and they can get more out of this story. And I think when you have a movie franchise like this, you get to do a little of that with a movie budget, which is why things like this can be done so well. Mhm. Because you had Nicholas Meyer worked on it a little bit. Um, Harv Bennett's been around since you know Moses parted the Red Sea and invented Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So and, and Leonard obviously knows the characters better than than any director you could find off the street. So that team together just made this movie. Pro- I still think it's the best one of the original six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that because of this one they? added more humor into the subsequent Star Trek movies. Yes, and failed miserably okay. yeah. Five. Wow. Five is so rough. Wow. Let me let me skip then cuz I I know we're we're talking about stuff that we liked, but let me cuz this mm. this mm-hmm. is coming up, so let's let's talk about it. Um your favorite Star Trek movie or TV show? We'll we'll jump back to things that you like cuz we're kind of getting that stuff in anyway. But your favorite Star Trek uh, movie or TV show and a side question of that do you agree with the argument that I've heard over and over again that the even-numbered movies are always the best? So, Bo, what is your... If it, if it takes you a minute to think about it, then when take, I, take a minute to think. You What's your favorite movie TV or show? show? Am I just picking a show or am I picking an episode? Um, just a, a show. Ooh. And you can separate yeah. it out. If you, if you don't want to just say one, you could say favorite movie and then favorite it, show. Yeah, if I had to pick a favorite show... It would have to be the next generation just because of the breadth of. Uh, they did so much with it, mm-hmm. but they did some really cool things in in Deep Space Nine that I just love. But I can't. There was too much mysticism in Deep Space Nine to to for my tastes. Okay. So I have to say the next generation would be my favorite. I see you and Pat all. may you may you and Pat may get into a fight because I know Pat's a Deep Space Nine guy. Oh, I don't blame him. My yeah. brother's a Deep Space Nine guy through and through, and there's a good reasons for it. I just the the whole mysticism thing. I, I I felt they either they did it wrong or they did too much of it. It just 
turned okay. me off at some point early. That was the problem with Deep Space is it turned me off early. Well, that was and, from the like the, the the very first episode. Yeah, and it got. But it, the thing about Deep Space is it got so good later. Yeah. Yeah. So good, but it turned me off early that it was that it was hard to get back into it. Yeah. And then. I was bummed that Enterprise got canceled. I thought they could have done a whole lot of cool stuff with that. That was that liked, was going somewhere really good. I liked Enterprise. I know a lot of people don't like Enterprise. I liked it. Yeah, yeah it was it was that's solid. Other other than Next Generation, I Enterprise may be maybe my favorite of the shows. I think what Enterprise did so well was it got back to the not to use the. The, sh- the swashbuckling nature of the original. Right. I love they, that they still they had to just, figure stuff out. Right. There weren't all these rules. Right. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't well, just, like they, you couldn't just say, a, well, you couldn't just say, oh, you know, if we did a reverse uh, tachyon pulse from the <laughs> deflector dish, then we could, it was more What's of like a, tachyon? a, right. Well, it would have been more of like a, we have a deflector dish. Right. Yeah. We See, should build like one it. of those. I liked it when they landed on a new planet and it was just like, hey, how you doing? And then right. like there's like big gunfights and people are dead. They're like, yeah, you know what? We got to have a system where yeah. we don't just go and interfere in planets. I think we got to think this one out, you know? <laughs> we should set up some kind of a directive. Yeah, yeah. And it should be really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. So is it so, Bo, you said Next Generation is your favorite show. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. No. What about movie? If I remove the two newest ones, it's this one. Okay. Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Okay. There is something about the new the new uh, the two thousand nine like darkness that is so solid and good. But I'd have to say this one and and you could talk me into saying Wrath of Khan, but I'd go this one for sure. Okay. All right. Pat, what about you? Favorite show? Um, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say that, uh, uh, my favorite show would have been the deep space nine series. I really, and it's funny because until Netflix and binge watching came along, I mean, I grew up watching next generation and it was funny. I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll check them out on Netflix and just kind of binge watch through. And as I was going through next generation, I'm like, man, I must've really been a big fan because I remember every single one of these. And I think that's why I've and so, you know, there, there's that. And I, I got to admit, you know, my, my grandmother was big into Star Trek. And so, I mean, I remember growing up and watching all the um, the originals and everything, um, the original series. And and the thing about Deep Space Nine, I, I really liked just that they showed that aspect of the of the universe. You know, it was you, you saw a little bit more of the dark underbelly. You it was know? dirty. Yeah. The characters were a little few more shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And I thought that some of the episodes without, you know, they really started to explore things, you know, on a, on a, on a moral level that, that, um, you know, just that they, that they did differently than, than what they did with the, you know, when you were flying around, around with the Federation flagship, you know, and, and everything is, can kind of be a little bit more cut and dry. And I, and I, I liked that they, they did that. Um, you know, there was a, you know all the the combat sequences and all that were exciting in it. Um, the that character- little that little ship that could just kick, ass. kick yeah, kick little. the snot out of everybody. Oh. You know that was. What good. are you calling and, little? I mean, 
That's right. And then that one episode, you know, by the pale moonlight where, um, you know, um, what's his name? Um, Cisco tricks the Romulans into mm. getting involved in the war and it's all subterfuge. And then all of a sudden um, you find out that, you know, he was faking some, some information that they discovered there's a fake, but then he had the ship blown up and he didn't have it done, but he hired this other guy, you know, it was just this web of deceit. And then at the very end, you know, he's leaving this all in a log entry and he says, I have to be honest, if it's going to save lives, I'm okay with it. Erase the log, you know, and it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, these, you know, the father son relationship. So, I, I mean, I'm just kind of laundry listing why I like that show, but I, I really, it, it, that show was, I really enjoyed watching. That being said, you can't have deep space nine unless you have the next generation. Mm. I, I don't think, I, I don't think you can do that if you didn't have the seven seasons of the next generation. And for that matter, if you had had the, if you hadn't had the original series, I think it was a great show, but I don't think it, I don't think that could have operated as a standalone. Yeah. And I don't find myself saying, why can't the rest of Star Trek be like this? I think it did what it was supposed to do, but it couldn't have unless you had those other ones. You know, I, I think you just needed that. Um, as far as favorite movie, Wrath of Khan, and I've often said to, to John, I think, it, it, my estimation, I think one the, the greatest Star Trek thing is the, the, is the Wrath of Khan. I just, mm -hmm. I think that movie is just... It has a little bit of a little bit of everything in it from you know Spock and McCoy arguing with each other. Um, it has you know uh, James Kirk at his swashbuckling best, but then he's also struggling with now he's got more responsibilities and you know is he is he getting too old? Did he miss a step? Um, he was kind of the the suave captain that didn't believe in the no one scenario, but then you know he's getting beat every turn um by this arch villain it had one of the greatest arch villains in the history of film and tv i mean played so wonderfully with you know con with ricardo montalban i mean just all the ingredients were there and then the very end it took you know they didn't all escape clean it, they, they got dirty on this one i mean it they what did he say we've paid for the party with our dearest blood you know and mm -hmm. so that that movie uh you know, I just can watch that and, you know, awesome space combat on top of all this other stuff going on. So I, I think my favorite Star Trek thing has to be the second, the second movie. I'm going to agree with you. That's my favorite movie is Star Trek two, probably very, very close behind that one would be, I'm going to give it a three way. T well, I'm going to give it a four way tie. Cause I can't, I can't decide after that, after Star Trek two wrath of Khan, is going to be the 2009 Star Trek, the first mm -hmm. of the new ones, is going to be Star Trek IV, this one, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I do like that one. And then uh, was eight First Contact? Yes. Okay, eight. Um, I'll go with that one too, First Contact. I, I like that one. And it was it was a very good very good movie. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that one with my dad. In fact, we were talking about that earlier today. Um, it's, uh, it's actually my mother-in-law's anniversary today, so we... I did a little cookout outside, and they're probably oh. upstairs listening to me through the vents right now because she's a big Star <laughs> Trek fan. Um, and we were talking about it uh, a little bit earlier, and I was going through some of the different, um, you know, the different movies, different movies that they had made, and and I remembered going to see Star Trek: uh, First Contact with my dad, and 
he always liked to pick something ridiculous about the movie that he loved. I mean, he he loved. I probably saw Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan when I almost close to when it came out. Like he probably showed me that movie when I was about three years old, mm-hmm. because he loved the idea that I would get totally grossed out by the earbugs. Yeah. Oh, those things are nasty. Yeah, they are. That, that's also one of the greatest pieces of that movie. Yeah. And I remember him showing me that as a kid, and I remember being totally grossed out, but also thinking it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them, them, them's are nasty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but then I remember going to First Contact, and we left the theater, and he's like, what did you like? I was like, oh, there was the action, and there was this, and there was the Borg, and there was this. I was like, what did you like? He's like, well, that Betty Borg was pretty hot. <laughs> I'm like Betty Borg, he's like, yeah, the Borg Queen. She was a looker. I'm like, yeah, okay, Dad. <laughs> I Can I go to a movie by myself next time? Yeah, because that's weird. Yeah, but then every time the funny thing was, every time he'd like be flipping through the channels, it would come on TV. He'd be like, oh, oh man, Betty Borg, that Betty Borg. <laughs> it's like, Dad, that's not a real name. I don't care. It's Betty Borg. She's always <laughs> Betty Borg to me. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I got to go with the uh, I got to go with the four way tie with all those, but I do have to. I got to go Wrath of Khan, and and very quickly I will say that's why Star Trek Into Darkness made me so mad um, mm-hmm. because they tried to they tried to get the cheap payoff from taking that story and doing it with a twist, and they butchered every single piece of everything that made that story good. So that's. That's all I'll say about that until we get to our podcast. What will it be like 30 years from now when we talk about Star Trek Into Darkness? Mm-hmm. If we live that long. Um, right. We'll talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. and yeah, It'll be a while, like 27 years or so. We'll be able to just sit back on our couches and think everything we want to say. And it'll there just we go. be magically It'll transmitted just... to the podcast by then, yeah, right? They won't. I don't even know what podcasts will look like in 27 years. <laughs> Braincasts. Real- there we go. You, we'll just share it. You realize everything. what you just did, though. What I do. With the exception of, of Into Darkness, you just named most of the even-numbered movies, which may be proving the theory. I did, and that's <laughs> I, I agree with the theory. I am somebody who agrees with the theory. And, and I think I've already said, I think my t- favorite TV show would either be Next Generation or Enterprise. I really did like Enterprise. But mm-hmm. back to the theory, I've kind of always agreed with that theory. Because when I think about it, I look at them, and I'm like, okay, well, what was the motion picture? Yeah. Motion picture is too much of a film. It's not a movie. Right, it, right. It's it's, it's very film. much it's, it's very it's, much like a two thousand. I think they were like you said. I think they were going for a more of an artsy two thousand one. And some of those long drawn out shots when they're approaching yeah. the V'ger probe are gorgeous. But good mm-hmm. lord, speed the movie up. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I it's funny because I watched that when it came on a little. It was on, and I'm like, oh, check this out again. And I was cringing, waiting for it to be <laughs> awful. I was. I've heard somebody say that that's the best film about set pieces that's ever been made. Yes. There, that is a famous quote. And I wish I could remember who said it, but yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's true because they just. And then every once in a while, people show up. Yeah. But and I they... mean. But then there's, yeah. there's your trivia then, because in this movie, Star Trek IV, we had the mom from Seventh Heaven. But if you go back to Star Trek The Motion Picture, we had the dad from Seventh <laughs> Heaven from was, Seven. uh, yes. was Decker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it, the the acting was good. The special oh, yeah. effects were good. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, yeah, I yeah. But yeah, but no, it 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 does not hold a candle to, in space. It is very cold. That's true. Revenge is a dish best served cold. It is very cold in space. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that man, that is a villain. Oh yeah, that is a villain. Um, yeah, and then I mean, then you have two. Then you have Wrath of Khan. Then you have Search for Spock. Eh. Um, then you have four. This one, fun movie. Five. Ugh. Um, oh, six oh. undiscovered country. I liked. I really liked undiscovered country. Um, you know, I I thought it was a, a fun twist on it. The whole idea that, and that maybe was the first time that you almost got a Deep Space Nine esque vibe mm-hmm. to it, where it was like, hey, there are actually people within the Federation that are involved in this assassination plot. It's not just good guy bad guy. It's there's people that you thought were good guys, and they are actually in with the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And then Generations, eh. and then you had First Contact, which I liked, um, and then Insurrection was nine. Yeah. Which, I wish I liked that movie more, because I love F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, He's one of my favorite actors, brutal. but... Ugh. There's um, so much bad there. Yeah. And then uh, Nemesis was ten. Yeah. Yeah. And that one... Which was... That almost breaks... definitely held up the fact that it was better than insurrection right it almost breaks but, the even rule if if insurrection hadn't been bad then right. 10 would almost nemesis would almost break the even rule yeah because it was not great yeah and they tried so hard they tried to pull at your heartstrings with the whole data thing and right. it just didn't work yeah and then young creepy tom hardy right <laughs> yeah Let's um, make him look like Patrick as much as we can. Right. Did um, <laughs> did people Star Trek three people had a problem with, or I mean, a lot of people did. And I, I it's the second act of a three act play. And okay. The same type of people that don't get down with Empire Strikes Back don't get down with Search for Spock. Okay. Because the second act of a three act play is slower and darker and more emotional, and mm-hmm. you're setting up a lot of the conflict there. Mm-hmm. Now I shouldn't say setting up your. You're actually paying off the first round of conflict, but building a second round for the final act. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just drags. Yeah. You know, it's it's never good when the audience gets to the end of the movie, and when Kirk is kicking a Klingon in the face, the audience feels like they're kicking the movie in the face, saying, <laughs> I have had <laughs> enough no. of you. Oh, you. You know, when the audience is feeling that way about the movie, probably not a good thing. Yeah, so it's that, what... It, it could have been shorter. Okay. Is that how you felt, John? It was just, it was, uh, it was, you were done with that movie? You know what? I, I like Search for Spock. It's not, but I mean, if I put it up against the other ones that are out there, it's, it does not. If I compare it to the ones that are before and after it, it definitely is not as strong as, that's its problem. I think it could be. I was going to say, that might be its, its other problem is it right. sits between two of the best of the franchise. Right. It, it's between so Wrath of Khan and Voyage Home. Down. So I think. You got a rough, you got a little bit of a rough time there, kind of trying to, you know, fit in between and trying those two to movies. pay off all that stuff you set up in Wrath of Khan. Right, which is a shame because Christopher Lloyd is a great villain in that one. He mm-hmm. is, but, but you're comparing him to Ricardo Montalban as right. Khan. It's, yeah, excuse me, it's hard to, um, yeah. it's hard to beat that. Which then is why I like in this one that there is no villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the probe is not a villain. There's really no clear cut villain in this one. So I think they made the right decision to say, look, we tried to, yeah. we tried mm-hmm. to up our game, you know, from Khan to Commander Krug to, you know, we're just not even going to try it this time. Let's do something that there's not a villain and we'll just go from there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the problem here is nature is right. just destroying you. Right. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of got off from our our likes, like our favorite <laughs> quotes, and but that's totally fine because we went off in a good direction. Um, but what about favorite quotes and scenes? Um, oh, geez. I mean, I this, know, this could so take many. a while. You, you go first, Pat. <laughs> I was just no, you go first. Uh, oh, okay. Do you like Italian? Exactly. Yes. yes. No. 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 Yeah, yeah, no. no. Yes. yes. No. I love Italian. Yes. He, I love so Italian. And so do you. <laughs> yes. Right. That's right. Well, yes. Just that, see, that entire scene from the minute they cut to them walking yeah. to the minute they drop Spock off. That entire section yeah. is just ridiculous. Oh, him? He's harmless. Back in the 60s, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. <laughs> I think mean, he did a little too much LDS. LDS? LDS. <laughs> I mean, come on. How do you do too much Latter-day Saints? <laughs> that's right. Oh, my gosh. That's right. I love an Italian. And <laughs> they're not the hell you're whales. <laughs> I suppose they told you that. The hell they did. They did. I mean, come on. They like you very much. But, when he's but they are not your whales. The, when he's swimming with the whale... And all of a sudden, Kirk's looking around for him, like, wait, where did he go? And then it's like, oh, and then he's like, oh, my gosh. And he's covering his mouth. And he's like, and then it's like, maybe he's singing to that man. (laughs) Oh, God. We don't know why they sing. We don't know what their song's about. Is it just me? Maybe he's singing to that man. (laughs) Uh, Scotty picks up the mouse and talks to the computer. Hello, computer. Oh, I've done that several times. Like at school, if I'm helping somebody like replace a keyboard that's not working on a computer, I'll look down and I'll, I'll be like, a keyboard. How, How quaint. quaint. <laughs> yeah. what, was, what was McCoy's line when Hello, they show up there? He's just like, don't bury yourself in the park. Yeah. <laughs> May my assistant join us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I kind of feel like they might have said to each other at one point off camera. Oh, sure. I, I kind of feel like, you know, especially knowing that James Doohan is not Scottish at all. Exactly. I kind of feel like at one point in time, they might have actually said that to each other as actors. Yeah. And be like, okay, yeah. tone it down there a little bit, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just, oh, man. I it's, do enjoy the line, don't tell me you're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer work space. in outer space. Well, I knew outer space had to come into it somewhere. Right. <laughs> Or when she goes, sure, won't you change your mind? Is there something wrong with the one I have? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That's yeah. good. Are you telling me that I have to die to understand your experiences on yeah. death? Yes. Doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving multiple distress calls. I don't doubt it. I don't, it. I don't, doubt, I it. don't doubt it. Exactly. <laughs> I love when they go into the antique store. And yeah. it's like, uh, excuse me, Admiral, but weren't those a birthday gift from Dr. McCoy? And they will be again. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> How much? I'll give you $100 for them. And he just keeps that smile on his face. Is that a lot? Is that a lot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, here, here you go. Don't splurge. Don't splurge. Which, I mean, and I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too nitty, you know, nitty gritty with the continuity kind of detail things. But, you know, I often wondered, like, were they really that clueless with money? I mean, I could see them being somewhat clueless with money, but – and I know that this was supposed to be a bit of the departure from the canon of the Star Trek universe, but they'd been back in time before, you, you know? Yeah. I mean, Yeah, that was – yeah. 
because they have. I mean, they did the Guardian of Forever thing. That yeah. Well, and that's where you. I mean, that's where you hit some of the plot holes because they do. They even reference that they've been back in time. They're like, oh sure. I mean, Doctor Doctor McCoy says it like it's nothing. He's like, yeah, sure. You know, slingshot around the sun and just hope you have enough speed to, you know, escape the the sun's gravity. And if you're going to use that to explain how you know to travel through time then I feel like there are some of these gags that you can't really, like the whole thing of not understanding money and... Yeah. And, I, don't, and I don't feel like you can gagging, use those, but... Gagging on the Michelob and everything like that. But, you know, that being said, I think that was so minor. And the fact that for for the die-hard, die-in-the-wool Star Trek fans, there was so much in this movie that they could enjoy... Um just the fact that it it wrapped up the two you know the episode two the episode three and this was the this was the wrap up i i think because there was so much of that i'm guessing that most of the star trek fans just kind of gloss right over that yeah you know and they they wouldn't mind it well and if you know going into it this is going to be a little bit more of a light-hearted movie then you can forgive some of that other stuff Mm mm-hmm definitely I, I do like the uh, the whole scene in the hospital when McCoy is just getting so bent out of shape over yeah. mo- modern medicine. Yes. And he, he walks up to the lady, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, you know, still his old, old grouchy self. What's the matter with you? She's like, kidney dialysis. Dialysis? What is this, the dark ages? Huh? You swallow yeah. this pill and then call me. If you got any problems, give me a call. Yeah, and even that, when they get into the chase scene with the two cops... And they run by that old lady. The doctor gave me a yeah. pill, and I have a new <laughs> kidney, and everything. I mean, even that scene is just uh, uh, paced so well. You know, it's fundoscopic examination of the cerebral. My God, man! Drilling <laughs> holes in his head is not going to help. Now back off, so that I can help this patient. That's just a great line. My God, man! Drilling holes in his head is not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> like when they're uh, when they're interrogating Chekhov. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's start no, again. Not my name. Let's let's name. start again. <laughs> the name. What? My name? <laughs> name. My name? No. no my my name. name. I do not know your name. <laughs> you play games you with play me and you're done. Me, I am. May I go now? <laughs> oh man. Well, that even that when he goes uh, when he goes up to the police officer, which mm-hmm. if. Anyone that never grew up in the Cold War doesn't get the full humor of that scene right. because it's kind of like nuclear vessels, vessels. and the cops just glaring at the guy. The, the German guy or the uh, the the so the Russian guy in the mid '80s asking where the nuclear vessels are, yeah, is not going right. to go over well. I may have found the podcast title. What's for that? This one. Damage control is easy. Reading Klingon. That's hard. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, one thing I read that I didn't throw in here. Um, you know when they're asking for the directions to the nuclear vessels in Alameda? This is good. The lady that, have you heard this one? Yeah. The lady that walks up and says, oh, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think they're in Alameda. Yeah. That's what I said, Alameda. Um, that she apparently was not even an extra on the movie. She um, was there. Yeah, she was there. Like her car had been either ticketed or towed. Because the production, like, I guess she didn't move her car in time and the production came in and, and they either towed or ticketed her car. And so she came to the uh, movie crew that was there and they're like, and, and she was like, hey, can you, like, can you pay me back? Because it was because of you guys that I got my tar- my car towed. And they were like, well, 
you know, no, not really. And she said, well, then fine. Then make me an extra in your movie so that you can pay me enough to at least pay for the ticket for my car. And they said, fine, but don't say anything. Like, you can be in this scene, but you're not allowed to say anything at all. And so oh. then, and so then they did that scene, and she walked up, and they asked her the question, and they were every person the extras were just supposed to ignore everything that they said, and she's the one that stopped and said, "Oh, I, I, I don't know, I, I think it's in Alameda." Yeah. And then Leonard Nimoy saw that, and he's like, "She wasn't supposed to say anything, but I like it. Let's keep it." Yeah, I, it really worked, and I mean, it doesn't, you know, when her and and Michelle Nichols and Walter Koenig are. are I mean, it doesn't look awkward at all. I mean, it really has a nice, uh, uh, um, nice flow to it. Yeah. I think I'm. I'm. Tr- yeah. The base was closed in 1997. I think, and I, I have never been able to confirm this, and I'm trying to do it on Wikipedia as we speak. Yes. No. I am not wrong, because it is on Wikipedia. That Navy base, the Alameda base that they refer to. Yeah is the same closed Navy base that Mythbusters uses all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Fun little bit of yeah. trivia. Cool. Cool. The nuclear cool. vessels were there once. The nuclear vessels. <laughs> all right. So here's my last Star Trek-y question. Um, how do you feel, and this kind of ties into something I asked a little bit earlier, or brought up a little bit earlier, um, but I, I do want to wrap us up soon because I know we are over our, we've, we're gone over about an hour or so. I think we're about an hour and almost 15 minutes at this point. So let's wrap up with this one. How'd you feel about the whole 2009 reboot? Uh, I know there's a lot of Star Trek fans that are really upset that this reboot seems to have wiped out 50 years. So this is the 50th anniversary of, mm-hmm. uh, of Star Trek this year. Um, and so I guess go back the seven years that that would have come out and it's wiped out 43 years of Star Trek history. I guess if you think about it, um, except for enterprise, cause enterprise would have come before all that stuff, I guess. Um, a lot of people are really upset. They don't like the reboot because it ruined everything else. Um, other people are like, Nope, I like it. It's new. It's a fresh take on it. Let's go from here and see what happens. And then along with that, there's a brand new show coming out in January of this next year, 2017, and they're saying that it's going to be written and produced by the same people that write and produce the new movies, but it won't necessarily be in the same universe. How do you feel about what's going on with Star Trek right now? I think as reboots go, it's been fantastic. Okay. They You take out Star Trek Into Darkness, and I'll agree with you. <laughs> they did it in such a way that they, if they wanted to, they could silence any naysayer they want. Because Nero came back in time and messed with the timeline. So this is not the Star Trek universe that you remember. We have splint, we have taken this, and in true Star Trek fashion, we have gone off in an alternate universe from this point where Nero shows up. Everything from here out can't ruin what's already happened because we're not there anymore. And so I, but I have what if, a hard But what time. if Jean-Luc Picard is never born? And that may be the case. In that universe, he may not exist. Ugh. The Picard vineyards may be a alpaca plant for all, a plantation for all I know. But that's 
the beauty of the way they did it by introducing that time skewer and bringing Spock back from the future, which is something that the real Spock, the younger Spock, would have never done. Because that's a that's a, that's that's just not logical on any planet. Because you're going to ruin the timeline. It's done. The timeline is so ruined that the old stuff doesn't matter. And that's where I think they did it brilliantly. Now, I think the movies themselves have issues. Um, they're too. I, I, I like them as action movies, not as Star Trek movies, mm-hmm. which I have well, a little problem with. They're too they Star Warsy. Little, they move a little too fast. They're too Star Warsy. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different way to do it, and I, I can't find much fault with the way they've done it. Yeah. I, I can't put them too high on my list of things I'd go back to often, but I think my wife's gonna love them mm-hmm. when I finally let her watch them. But she has some. I, I really like source the, material to watch first. I like the visuals. Like I really like the visuals yeah. of the new Star Trek. I and I've already said this a couple of times. I just have a problem with the trying to use the story of Wrath of Khan in your in your sequel that you're recreating and, and butchering. In my opinion, butchering it totally. Um, but when that first 2009 movie came out, I'm like, ooh, no, I, yes, go all thrusters ahead go for it show me what you show me what you're going to do with this now that you've blown up Vulcan and you've restarted everything and I was excited about it and then when Into Darkness came out I was like eee. can we send yeah. somebody back in time to like stop the Romulans before they destroy the whole timeline and like we, we could just <laughs> you know we could pull a whole Back to the Future too and just undo this by going back and you know getting the almanac and blowing up the Romulans and making sure that old Biff was on the right ship like, and the whatever and it is just, as long as the cubs win the world series we can redo that as much as you want that's fine <laughs> but see they didn't win the world series because that was that was from the original timeline and we are in a totally different timeline yeah i know yeah but they still could have won they could have and the timeline skewered so much after that I'm it's sure fine they they'll win this year it'll be okay exactly yeah it's just one year off yeah so i don't know i mean i'm i always I don't think there's been a Star Trek TV show that I haven't enjoyed. So I think I'm looking forward to seeing a new Star Trek TV show on the air. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. Like, I would like to, I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to be different. Like, I don't want it to be a clone of the movies. And right. I, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I want it to be. I don't want it to be like a CSI set in the Star Trek universe. And I don't want it to be something like that. Yeah, I don't know. The The one thing that the several people are upset about is the new Star Trek show that's coming out in January is available first. You can get it later, um, I think, on regular TV. But it's available first only through the CBS All Access app, which is five ninety nine a month. Right. So, you know, if you're happy with Netflix, then you're not going to go get that extra app. So, Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm excited for the new movie, the Star Trek Beyond. When is that? Is that coming out? I don't know. They're being so coy about it. They're not releasing a lot of stuff, which I kind of like, but I they don't know the release date. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with the whole... 
Star Trek thing. I think what they did with the first one was good. I, I didn't like the second one as much for the same reasons that you're talking about. And it kind of comes back to what we, we were talking about last week with remakes. I think I don't mind if they redo it. If it's not my thing, then I'll just not watch it. You know, I mean, I think I'm not going to, you know, get upset and rip on things on, on social media and all that kind of stuff. It's just if I don't want to watch that stuff, then I'll just stick to watching, you know, binge watch The Next Generation, wait a couple of years, binge watch Deep Space Nine, wait a couple of years, rewatch all the movies, you know, and just kind of live with that. And, and that'll be all good to go. And but if they make a movie that's entertaining and fun to watch, then I'll watch it. And, you know, it's it's you know, I, I don't know. I think maybe that just means that I'm not like such a super fan, but I, I, I just think it's it's not worth getting worked up over. I mean, if it's not a good movie, then just don't go watch it. But if it's a good movie, then watch it and accept it for what it is, you know. And speaking of not a good movie, we'll be doing Star Trek V: The Final Frontier in about uh, three more years. I looked, I looked it up; it is eighty-nine. So, in the year that we get to enjoy Batman, um, we will have to put up with Star Trek V: mm. The Final Frontier. Maybe we should do those right after one after the other. That'll you do that. A little temper bit of our sadness. Palate cleanser. Um, I did look it up, and Star Trek Beyond is supposed to come out this July, so just a few months. Wow. And I, I remember it's seeing out that soon. I have heard very little. I yeah. can't decide if that's good or bad, but and I've I like seen, it. And I concept. know I've seen the trailer. I think we saw the trailer one yeah. of the times we went to I've another movie. Um, but I don't know anything about the plot. I hear they're supposed to reveal the 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 uh, Ray's parents in it. <laughs> in, in Star Trek Beyond, okay. They're going to combine the two greatest sci-fi uh, franchises of all time, and you're going to meet Ray's parents. Mm-hmm. That right there would be hysterical. So many people would be so mad. Worf you... and Luoxana Troy. There it is, right there. That's no, they've already shown it. It was on Facebook. It's um, it's Lone Star and uh, Princess Vespa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rumor I actually heard that Mel Brooks is actually trying to make a second Spaceball. I heard about that. Yeah. I haven't heard much more than that, but I heard it's it's trying to happen. Yeah, yeah, I heard he was working on it. And if he doesn't call it the search for more money, I'm I was just gonna say disappointed. <laughs> it's I mean it's already, it's had a name for years. Exactly. It's just a matter of making the thing. <laughs> um oh one thing I, I found I saw really quick as I was looking through something else. They have actually created in two thousand nine, so when the new Star Trek movie, you know, the new first of the new ones came out. They actually invented transparent aluminum. I know. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. So look at that. How do you know he didn't invent the thing? Yeah. <laughs> if we give him this. We... All right. All right. Well, do we have any final comments on Star Trek for the Voyage Home before we take us before I take us home? If anybody's sat through this whole thing and hasn't seen this movie, go see it right now. Oh, go watch yeah, it. Yeah, what a good movie. What a it's... good movie. I challenge you. I challenge well you to watch this movie and not have a smile on your face by the end of it. It's it's exactly right. When they're standing on the ship at the end in the in the in Golden Gate Harbor and yeah. Even Spock is smiling when they drag him into the water. Exactly. So if Spock can smile, you can too. Agreed. All right. Well, on that note, we are going to head out. Um, this is, you've been listening to the 30-something movie podcast, if you hadn't figured that out by now. Um, you can find us on Twitter at 30podcast. You can email us, 30podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can head over to our website. we got our new website up. 
30podcast.com. And from there, we've got a form where you can send us suggestions for movies. If we've got, uh, if we haven't covered a movie yet, you know it's from 86 that you would like us to take a look at, then feel free to go ahead and send us something there. Uh, you can also get to our iTunes feed, so you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, the Satchel podcast app. Um, I hear that Google Play is finally releasing their stuff either today or tomorrow, sometime oh. very soon. So um, that should be out really, really soon. Um, but yeah, so there's all kinds of different places you can follow us and uh, leave us a review, tell your friends about us. And then next time around, we are taking a look at one of my absolute favorite movies ever, uh, Aliens. And I am sorry I will not be here for that because I haven't That's watched right. that in so long. I'm excited to see it again. I am. I love that movie. I was a at the time that I was a Star Trek fan. I was also a huge Aliens fan, and it helped that I lived in England because I hmm. think there's a huge Aliens following in England. Oh. Um, when I lived there, and I'll I'll talk about this again on our show, but for next week. But when I lived there, they actually had this thing called Alien War that they built in downtown London uh, near Piccadilly Circus. It was at a shopping mall called the Trocadero. And you'd go down to the basement, and it was this, it was kind of like this tour thing. It was kind of almost like Star Tours at uh, Disney, but it was you taking a tour. It, you weren't in a, like a pod with a video screen in front of you. You and the other people in your group were taking a tour of this research facility, and you were being escorted by a scientist and a colonial marine. And as you're going through this facility, you get to see, you know, some of the props that look like they've been studying these alien eggs that they found and other stuff. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose mm. and the, like the lights go out, things are flashing. It is like you are in an aliens movie. And there are times where like the Marine like rushes everybody down the hall and somebody like an alien jumps out from the hall and grabs one of the, nice. um, like they've planted actors in your group. And so they, but you don't know that those people are actors. Mm -hmm. And so they would like pull people out of the crowd. There's a part where you're, you're inside, like they cram everybody in an elevator and you hear like things banging on the outside and people are screaming. And I just, I remember I went to this as a kid. I was probably 12 at the time. And well, that explains a few things. Well, I know. And absolutely loved it. But I, I used to read like a lot of the Aliens books and the comic books and just loved the movies. So I am a big, big fan of the Aliens movies. So cool. when we get to that one next week, I'm I'm going to geek out about that one a little bit. I'll be a little bit like um, uh, Pat with Commando. I don't know if anyone can quite reach Commando level. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, listen in next week. If you can't be there, listen next week. And oh, I will. You'll, John's, you'll... John's building up for it, man. I bet we've been talking about Aliens for, I think... I think since January 1st, 1986. Oh, man. I think and that I'm... was on Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's, everybody. We get to talk about aliens. That's right. <laughs> well, and then knowing that they designated the end of this month as Alien Day. Like that right there's on. an official Alien Day. because And they, they stretched for this one because Alien Day is April 26th. Okay. And that comes from the name of the planet. And Aliens was LV426. Oh, Oh, so there's your official. It's not quite as on the nose as May the Fourth be with you, right? Yeah, but close enough. It's close enough. But you, I mean, you got to be a fan to know where that four two six came from, right? You know, it's just it's one level above four twenty. It's roughly the same. <laughs> Good lord. All right. 
Well, that's going to do it for us this time around, but come on back next week, and we are going to be taking a look at the movie Aliens. Uh, if you got any feedback for us in the meantime, you know where to send it. Otherwise, we will see you all next week. Have a good one. Live long and prosper. Bye now. Peace out. There we go. We'll do it. Can I do the, for the anybody watching this on YouTube, I'll do the Vulcan thing. I'm finding out, like, not a lot of people can do that, apparently. Yeah, it's a thing. I didn't think There's it was a thing. some people that can't do it. I know some people that can only do it with one hand. And yeah. Very strange. You can do that, or you can turn it into, like, the Ninja Turtle hands. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I suppose you could. Okay. That doesn't work for anybody listening to the audio podcast, but... Nope. Oh, well. All right, folks. Thank you. Come on back next time. to solve this minor problem. Simple logic will suffice. I believe I shall begin by making use of this map. I have the distance and bearing which were provided by Commander Uhura. If we juxtapose our coordinates, we should be able to find our destination, which lies at 283.7 I degrees. think we'll find what we're looking for at the Station Institute in Sausalito. A pair of humpback whales named George and Gracie. How do you know this? Simple logic. Mean exact change. Oh.